0: Our God, we thank you that Jesus is the greatest name in heaven and the greatest name on earth, the greatest name there will ever be. We thank you that Jesus is the one who saves and that through him we have relationship with you. We thank you for the blessing of your word. We thank you that you have not left us in the dark, but you have given us your great light. And we pray now that as it's read and preached to us, Uh, That your spirit would take your word and plant it deep in each of our hearts. And we pray that for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Maureen.
1: Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. We're on. Good morning. Reading today is from 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 11 to 17 and it's under the title Living Godly Lives in a Pagan Society. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Praise the Lord.
0: Uh, Sue and I have really enjoyed being with you these uh, few weeks. So thank you so much for your warm hospitality and care for us. It's uh, really encouraging to be back with you and to see you all meeting again after a prolonged period of not being able to do that. So uh, terrific. We know that people around the network have been praying for you regularly. They keep doing that. We know you pray for the other churches in the network as well as just the wider spread of the gospel. So it's just incredibly encouraging uh, to be with you today. Now, Sue so and I, we live directly opposite a childcare centre uh, in our street. We've lived opposite for almost 30 years. It means that parking is at a real premium in our street. Right? It's just always chock a block cars coming and going. And the other day, I was backing out uh, our driveway, a little while ago now, and a car was parked about a halfway across my driveway, which meant I couldn't get out. And I recognised the car. I knew it belonged to one of the, uh, the long-term workers in the uh, ch- childcare centre just across the road. So you might be thinking, I wonder what goes through a pastor's mind when he's confronted with a situation like that. And can I say, it's probably pretty well the same as goes through your mind in the same situation. Uh, so I was just a little bit irritated, you know, the thoughts going through my mind. It's yeah, so selfish, you know. Underlying that was it's blocking my goals, but, you know, it's so selfish of that person just to park across my driveway. And so I started playing through some of the the options for what I could do in the situation. And I was thinking, yeah, I could let down the tyres, right? Option number one. I could slash the tyres, option number two. Or, uh, uh, yeah, option number... I could call a parking inspector... Uh, so the person received a big fine and learnt the error of their selfish ways, you know. All these sort of thoughts going through my mind. But but I had actually at the time been reading through 1 Peter and this verse came to my mind as I was thinking these thoughts. It's 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day... He visits us. So how do I apply this to my driveway problem? Well, they should see my good deeds. So it was important no one saw me slashing the tyres, right? <laughs> Now, but seriously, how, how do I commend God by the way I live? Last week we looked at the first part of uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. And uh, if you were here, it doesn't matter if you weren't, but uh, we saw there the whole question of vocation for God's people, uh, that we are a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. There's a sense of being set aside uh, for serving God. And what we read last week was we're set aside for the purpose of offering spiritual sacrifices to God. That is, it's our lives that get offered in service of the Lord. And today, as we move into the next, next section, we're considering what that looks like? What does it look like to offer your life as a living sacrifice? And we take up verses 11 and 12 of chapter 2. Let me read it to you again. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us, uh, foreigners and exiles. It takes us back to the start of the book. Primarily, we're not citizens of Australia or any country or nation in this world, but we're believers who belong in heaven. That's that's home. Uh, don't sin. That's what we're told to do. Not not to fit in with the world's agendas and priorities for how we live, but rather let God dictate how He wants us as His children to live. To live good lives among the pagans. It's really just a way of talking about unbelievers. Uh, And the good here almost certainly is those uh, acts of kindness or generosity or mercy uh, that we're we're to offer up. That's the sort of picture. And why do we do that? Well, so that we glorify God on the day when Jesus returns. Uh, The deep desire here is that when Jesus returns, people who have not believed in him will believe in him and they'll trust him and will share eternity with them. That's the, uh, the principle that sets up this next section in verses 11 and 12. Then what we have following are three case studies to try and show us how this works in practice. The first case study, verses 13 to 17, is to commend Jesus to non-Christian authorities. That's case study number one. Case study number two, verses 18 to 25, uh, believing slaves are to commend Jesus to their non-Christian masters. Right? And then the third example comes up in chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. Believers commend Jesus to their unbelieving spouses. The principle, commending the gospel to unbelievers, three examples. Now, these three examples are not meant to uh, be the sum total of the experience of living your life before others. Uh, they're just examples to try and help you think think through the issues. And each of them contains principles, principles. Uh, that we'll look at in just a moment. In other words, we can apply this to every situation we find ourselves in, uh, with our neighbours, with colleagues at work, with family, at school, university, when you go to the shop, uh, when you back your car out of your driveway and discover someone's blocked you in. All, right? all situations where we can just apply what we're looking at today. What I'm going to do is to focus on the first of these examples from verses 13 to 17 that we had read. Uh, commending the gospel to unbelieving authorities. And then what we'll do from there is try and work out some implications of that. And I'll probably draw it a bit a bit wider in just this particular context. So let's dig in it, into it together. The outline's in the leaflet, if you find that helpful. So submitting to human authorities, verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as supreme authority, or to governors who were sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. In the first century context into which Peter's writing, uh, Christians were regarded as a a potentially subversive group, Uh, very different actually to the way we're seen today. Uh, The Roman emperor uh, was regarded as a god. There were lots of religions, lots of gods, But Christians were saying, now, there's only one God, and it's not Caesar. There was that sort of conflict and tension that was going on. Yet Christians are told here to submit. Even though human authority in the first century was exercised quite differently, I think, to our context, Uh, emperors had very little accountability or checks and balances on what they could do, quite autocratic, authoritarian. And yet the Christians they're told to submit to rulers. Rulers who could easily abuse their power. And notice they're told to submit themselves. Uh, it's a voluntary thing. That is that they choose to bring themselves under authority. But also noted submit rather than obey. Uh, I'll come back to that in just a moment. But there's obviously a clear recognition of legitimate authority here. But underlying it, I think, is the assumption that rulers will not always act responsibly. And you see that played out in the slaves and masters situation as well. The understanding is there'll be submission even in the face of abuse of authority. And that raises a question, I think, uh, for us. And why do it? Well, verse 13, we're told it's for the Lord's sake. That is, you honour God by respecting and submitting to the authority of those that God has placed in these ruling roles. And the goal of it, you pick it up in verse 15. It's God's will that by doing good, you should silence the talk, the ignorant talk of foolish people. Ignorant here, I think, uh, sounds a bit sharp. Uh, if you were having a conversation with a neighbour who wasn't a believer and you said, oh, you're just disagreeing with me because you're ignorant, right? It's probably not going to win many friends. You know, it's not a but, but really the context here, I think, is talking about, uh, it's not as harsh, it's, it's more talking about the fact that there's a lack of knowledge of God and all the implications that go with that. And you get the contrast when you get to verse 16. Live as free people. But don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. In our Western context, freedom's associated with self-determination. That's the way in which we think. That's the way in which we operate. But, you know, Christian understanding of this is so different. God has freed us from self-focus and from self-service, and it's so that we can serve other people around us. We're God's slaves, his servants, and that's true freedom. That is freedom. So what I've done is just really skated through these verses, giving you the elements that exist there. And what I want to do is bounce into what this means for us in 21st century Victor Harbour or wherever you happen to live. First thing I want to say is we should have proper respect and honour for those who are in authority. We should do that as believers. Aussies on the whole, we're cynical, anti-authority. We're big on cutting down the tall poppies. It is a national pastime. We're good at criticising those in public office. Uh, It is a national sport, I think. And when polls are taken, it shows that uh, politicians on the whole uh, are some of the least trusted and regarded people in our society. Can I say, this must not be the culture among God's people. It should not be the case. We pray for our rulers. We pray for our premier, our MPs. I hope you pray for your local mayor, uh, for police, uh, for those who teach in our schools, for principals of schools, uh, for those who lecture at universities and chancellors and vice chancellors, all those who have those sort of authority positions that's our approach. And generally it means we will actually, by submitting to them, obey them. And most of the time that makes sense. You know, on the way down here to Victor Harbor this morning from Adelaide, never occurred to me to drive on the right-hand side of the road. you know I, just, I thought I should just stick to the left-hand side. but really, that was a little self-serving. you know it, uh, I could have. You know, I know that that rule, driving on the left, is helpful for us all to do all at the same time. You know, sort of... Or murder, right? I think it's a good idea we don't go around murdering people. It sort of... It just erodes trust in relationships if we just make a sport of doing that. But most of the laws we get and we think make a lot of sense. But there are some we can hang loose to. Um, If you did not go above the speed limit all the way here this morning, put up your hand. No, I'm not going to get you to do that. But do you know what I mean? It's, uh, they're actually... We're loose as believers to some of the rules when it uh, it suits us. But, friends, we, we obey the laws. We submit to those laws. And actually we do it not for self-serving reasons, although there's benefit, but actually... Uh, because we serve the Lord. It's for the Lord's sake that we do those sort of things. Let me also say there are limits to our submission or our obedience. Uh, if we went to uh, Acts of the Apostles, v- chapters 4 and 5, we'd see uh, Peter the Apostle, St. Peter, who wrote this letter, uh, he's arrested a couple of times with other people. The religious authorities... They give him very clear instructions not to speak about Jesus. And he disobeys them. Both times Peter says he has to obey God and therefore he disobeys them. He doesn't submit to their instructions. I want you to note in verse 17 of 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter writes, Fear God, honour the emperor. As I said, uh, in the first century, emperors were regarded as a god. But, of course, believers, we know there is only one god, and therefore we are to fear and respect him. Uh, The emperor, God's servant, therefore we honour the emperor or those who are in ruling authority. Our first allegiance is always uh, to the Lord. That always comes first. Let me just uh, make a passing comment, again, about Acts 4 and 5 and Peter when he's arrested. Uh, Peter was actually, and the others were doing good when they were arrested, in terms of this. That is, they were healing people. uh, They were being kind uh, to the poor. They were generally doing good. But doing good doesn't guarantee uh, that we'll be loved by unbelievers around us. It's not a, a given uh, this passage in 1 Peter 2 talks about eroding the basis for people being able to criticise Christians because we we disregard leaders, but it doesn't guarantee it. It doesn't prevent us um, being persecuted or suffering. It doesn't prevent people saying things about us either. Uh, so it's a bit of an aside. So let me try and apply it just briefly. When will we have to choose between God and human authorities in our particular situation. Um, A few months ago, uh, we weren't able to meet together because the government had decreed uh, that uh, groups like this were not permitted to be able to meet. Some churches ignored that instruction. They'll go to a place like Hebrews chapter 10, Uh, where it says, don't neglect to meet together, and therefore they said, well, this is a place where we have an instruction from the Lord, and therefore we ought to meet, even though the government has said we we shouldn't. I, I think that was a general good situation. That is, by not meeting, we were playing our part in loving the people around us, and we were being singled out in any way. It just seems to be an appropriate time where we submit to authorities. Let me change the lens slightly. Let's say you're a doctor and legislation is introduced that compels you to perform uh, abortions on demand and you're a a Christian doctor. It seems to me at that point you have an obedience to God that overrules in terms of government authorities. Um, My situation, I hold a marriage licence from the government. Uh, Let's say it became compulsory for me to... Uh, marry same-sex couples. Now, at that point, I, I would have a conviction issue around that and I would have two choices, right? I could either disobey the authorities or hand in my marriage licence, right? I'd have those sort of two options, but it wouldn't be a compliance thing. What about uh, human rights protests? A number of those have been occurring in our context. Now, recently, you think about the marches in Hong Kong where over the last 12 months, Black Lives Matter, Uh, those sort of protests have been held. People are marching and organising marches, protesting against uh, legislation that's been proposed around loosening abortion uh, laws in our state. Uh, So let's say there's an issue that you feel passionate about. Uh, The government decides to ban the ability to march... What do you do? What do you do? Well, my advice to you this morning is, uh, honour God, do good, serve the Lord, and try and win the salvation of many. Does that answer the question? Doesn't really, does it? and you see that's the point? That is, I think there will be a range of issues on which Christians can actually have firm convictions that won't necessarily align with each other. It's, it's a, there's an area of latitude here for being able to work it out together, and we need to be careful about trying to be too prescriptive. It can depend on the situation, the issue, the country, the political system you find yourself in at any given time. All right? They're just, it's a complex sort of an issue. But friends, even if you profoundly disagree with the authorities, it still seems to me that we are to, in our disagreement, respect and honour those who have authority over us. So let me just push it a little bit further and ask, well, to what degree should we engage in the political process? Uh, How much should Christians be involved in trying to influence politics and uh, the law of our land. We're in a democracy. Uh, governments are accountable uh, for their decisions, and they're subject to scrutiny. So here's, here's a few thoughts. First is this. Uh, if you're 18 years of age, you ought to vote. Uh, we're legally required to in state and federal elections anyway, but it is a way we hold politicians accountable. I think it's also appropriate to be writing Uh, to our MPs, those who are in government, and trying to influence them to exercise uh, their ability to influence good legislation. And I think particularly around uh, issues like euthanasia uh, or freedom of speech, when those sort of issues are being debated in Parliament, it's good for them to hear from us, so I would encourage us to do that. But can I just say, we need to understand the limits of getting good laws passed. And Christians are not always sharp on this. What are the limits of getting good laws passed? The goal here in 1 Peter chapter 2, of submitting to authorities, is not to get good laws passed. Uh, That's at best a, a good secondary outcome. What is the goal of submitting to authorities here in 1 Peter chapter 2? Well, it's so they will see your good deeds, unbelievers will see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Um, Salvation is always our primary concern and lens, and must be. The second thing is this. We therefore need to understand that good laws have never saved anyone. They never result in anyone becoming a Christian. Good laws at their best will modify behaviour, but they cannot change human hearts. Uh, Only the Word of God and the Spirit of God can change the human heart. What about when doing good is regarded as doing bad? And I think that's the situation we find ourselves in today. Uh, Christians, it seems to me, are vilified for speaking into the issues of abortion or same-sex marriage or euthanasia. Uh, we do want to commend the gospel. We want people to be converted, don't we? And if we're vilified and make people angry by speaking out on those issues, should we just go quiet? Right? We should just go keep our views to ourselves because we don't want to upset people and distract them from the gospel. I don't think that's the case. And I think uh, when you read through the Gospels and see the way in which Jesus interacted with lots of different people on a range of issues, he didn't always tread softly in the flower beds to try and avoid conflict. And I think it's the same for us. Um, We will speak out according to conscience, um, but we will have our eye on what's good for the unbelievers around us as well. And then the final thing I want to say here just before I try and wrap it up is we need to keep remembering what we're told in this letter about being good citizens of Australia but understanding that our gravity is our citizenship in heaven. That's what directs how we think about things. It was interesting. I think it was on Friday, Sue and I got a text from Sue's sister who lives in New Zealand and has done for most of the last three decades, I think, and she told us that she was coming back to Australia, coming back home, she said, at the end of March. Right? So all the family were very pleased. I sent her a, t- a text. I said, Does this mean you'll now be backing the Australian rugby team rather than the All Blacks? All right? I, thought I, I thought I'd give her the citizenship test, you know? And, uh, and she wrote back and she said, no, I don't think I could do... Maybe I could barrack for the cricket team, but I think I'll still stick with the All Blacks when it comes to rugby. Now, I want you to understand that Sue's sister's heart is still, in some senses, back in New Zealand and always will be, I suspect. You know, that's just the, uh, the reality of ha- having lived there. Here is the challenge we all face, though. Uh, the challenge of being citizens of this country or living here... But the promise of heaven meant to be the thing that overshadows and dominates our hearts and minds. And we'll find a tension between those two things. But as followers, believers in the Lord Jesus, it actually is to remember that we are firstly citizens of heaven. Our first allegiance is to the Lord. Uh, We will respect and honour those who are in authority in this land, but Jesus is returning and he will wind up the history of the world. He rules now and he will rule forever. He's the one who has our allegiance. Friends, the the main thrust though of this section and beyond the verses we've looked at today is to keep remembering the impact of doing good and to be mindful of that as you live your lives before other people. So I'm backing out the driveway. I see there's a car sitting halfway across the driveway. I know it's a worker in the childcare centre and that person is going to be there for another six or seven hours according to my calculations. What do I do at that point? How do I do good in this situation? Just go back inside, wait till he moves in due course and be six hours late for my appointment? Well, one option, uh, you know. Uh, i tell you what I did. I'm not sure if I got it right. And I did have this passage in mind. I was trying to think, how do I commend the gospel to these people? And these people across the road, I've lived across the road from this place for almost 30 years. I think they've got a fair idea I'm a pastor. So what do I do? So what I eventually did was I went over and I tried as graciously as I could to say, look, I was just backing out. I live across the road. There's this car parked across our driveway. I think it belongs to one of your workers. And the lady who's behind the desk, she looked and she, she could see the car, she said, oh, that's George's, right? She was going to give him a hard time, I could tell. <laughs> and probably they get lots of complaints from neighbours. I said, look, no, it's not a big deal. But if you could move it, that'll really be helpful if um, he could do that so I could I can get out. Do you understand what I was trying to do was to, in some way... Um, commend the grace of God by being gracious myself um, to, to in some way just shine a light into that situation. I remember reading an interview that Andrew Denton did on the ABC with Tim Winton, an Aussie novelist, fairly uh, well-known novel, novel, novelist, and he's also a Christian. And uh, Denton asked Winton how he'd become a Christian. This is what he said. He said his father was a policeman in the 1960s in Perth. Uh, He'd been knocked off his motorbike while on patrol, went into a coma, was in hospital for a substantial period of time, then came home uh, to recuperate. Drunk driver situation. And it was a tough time for the whole family. He was a big bloke, and Winton was only five years old at the time, and his mother just couldn't move this man at all, his father, uh, to get him to shower him or bath him or anything like that. It was terribly difficult. Then one day, uh, the news obviously got out of the community and a bloke knocked on the door and he said, G'day, my name's Len. I hear your hubby is a bit crook. Anything I can do. And it turned out that Len, Len Thomas, he was from, from a local church and he just wanted to help out. And Winton said this in the interview. He just showed up and he used to carry my dad from his bed and put him in the bath and bathe him, which in 1960s in Perth was not the sort of thing you saw every day. It had a huge impact. This strangely sacrificial act was the doorway that the whole Winton family walked through to hear about Jesus and become his followers. Live such good lives among the pagans that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Friends, can I say, do not underestimate the impact of doing good Don't underestimate uh, what people observe. Uh, Don't underestimate the power of lives that are submitted to the Lord and want to serve him in this world in all the situations and relationships that you find yourself in. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for uh, your word. Uh, It's it's always apt. Uh, It always applies to the realities of life, it clearly identifies the issues of the here and now and eternity. And Father, we do pray that you will help us to work out how we serve you as citizens of yours, as priests in this world, as we commend the gospel to those around us. And Father, we pray we won't underestimate Uh, The significance of doing good as we serve you by serving others. Father, please give us the joy of being able to uh, see others come into the kingdom and put their trust in your son. Uh, Help us to keep taking up the opportunities to build those relationships with others, relationships of service and love, uh, just like the one we follow, the Lord Jesus who served and loved us. And we pray this.